Hello, everyone. Ben Jost with Black Wolf CrossFit. I am sitting here with our very own Homer Britton, and we are coming to you, coming to you today um, with kind of a special edition of the podcast in an effort to offer a different perspective than many of us are able to hold as a result of our own personal life experiences during this time of protest and social change. Um, having Homer sit down and open up about his experiences in his life as a successful professional young black man in this world who still deals with the systemic oppression that is being um, discussed and protested against and changed as we speak. And so, again, this is going to be different, but the hope is that we are able to gain insight into perspectives other than ours so that we may demonstrate greater empathy in a world that if it lacks one thing, it lacks empathy and understanding. And so this conversation um, will be, and, and we've definitely had strange conversations or deep conversations before, but uh, I've, I've given Homer pr permission to take this as far as he would like in any direction that, that he sees fit. So first and foremost, Homer, how are you doing today? I know we are in chaotic times. Um, kind of how are you holding up during all of this? Uh, ben, I want to first start off by saying when we do this podcast, I want people to realize that, one, I don't hate you. I don't want you to hate yourself because of your skin. I just want you to acknowledge that you have a different advantages in this world because of your skin tone. And that is the, what affects me on my daily life when I leave my house or when I'm outside of work when people don't know who Homer Britton is. And so right now, the way I'm doing, honestly, I've gotten better this week. I would say the last two weeks, I was very um, stressed out. I was emotional. I was hurt. I was helpless. And as for a man, I think feeling helpless is one of those, one of the worst feelings to ever have. And, um, you know, I was actually, because of that, I knew not to go to the protest. And that is sad that I was not able to go in a mental space because I was worried that if someone touched me, someone touched my wife, that I knew I was going to jail because if a police officer, officer grabbed her, did anything, I would have lost it. And so I stayed away from the protest. And so with that, I've been doing my back work with the kids that I always work with at Bloom Academy. And then just doing the similar mentoring and talking to other people and being a space where we actually can talk about how we feel without anger, because I think that's been the hardest part. Because honestly, the first two weeks, I was very angry, man. And that, that's just, it's a, it's a broken record that we keep having on repeat. So. Um, Understandable. So a little about you. Um, not only are you an awesome coach here at Black Wolf, CrossFit Level 2, been coaching for a while, graduated Tennessee Tech. Um, you are currently a very successful senior technology relationship manager at one of the big four accounting firms. And you are now the chairman at Bloom on the board of Bloom Academy, which yes. is down in Sunnyside. And just because uh, I'm, I'm certain that a lot of our athletes, whether it's because they're not from Houston or maybe they just don't know, because this is another good example of we know our neighborhoods. We don't know the neighborhoods of others. Um, maybe just give us a little insight into especially that that work at Bloom Academy and its location down in um, what I would call historic. I mean, it's 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 it is a historic neighborhood to me in that Sunnyside neighborhood in Houston, Texas. And so uh, I have to correct you. We were not able to be in Sunnyside because we couldn't find a building. Okay. And so we're actually in historic third ward. Uh, off uh, sophomore. And so uh, I am on the board of a charter school that started up this year. Uh, and we're actually K through five. We actually have able to have our first group of kids that graduated or promoted from kindergarten to first grade, went to that little graduation. And because of Corona, we had to do it outside and it was, it was really good. But uh, it's just an opportunity to change because I think education has failed us. Uh, not doing counting to five or ignoring my multiplication and things like that, but giving our opportunities to kids and let them know that they're able to do anything. I think education has failed. And so that's where we started this charter school with uh, Courtney Sales Rodriguez, uh, and um, or Courtney Rodriguez Sales, and she's the founder. And it's just a great opportunity for kids. And as you see, we actually are at almost at capacity for the next year. But we have to see how the corona affects uh, going into the next school year with the kids. Well, I, I do hope that works out for y'all. But the work you've discussed with Bloom, it's amazing. And as I've mentioned, I would love to see if we could um, create opportunities to work alongside you in raising money, getting the word out. 
for all that Bloom is looking to accomplish. So with that little bit of history, and I say that, and I'll, I'll be up front. So if somehow you're listening to this, but you don't know who I am, I'm a 34-year-old white man born in Houston, well, born in Fort Worth, Texas, but born and raised in Houston, Texas. Um, and yeah, kind of typical upper middle class white upbringing. And so I, I bring all this up because I know that part of the lack of empathy is the ability to dehumanize or disconnect from the people that are, are adversely affected by whatever it is. And so in this case, it it is easy to say that not only is it black men and women or black people that are facing this oppression, but maybe it's black people that are wholly unrelated to me. And there's nobody that's like me. And it's always very important to humanize those that are going through the struggle because it's not that we're the same. I get a little bit of tired that we're all the same. We are not all the same, but we absolutely have more in common than we allow for us to acknowledge so often in very society. True. And so I bring all that up because you are a high functioning, highly successful, highly driven, committed, caring, empathetic individual. And at the end of the day, what's facing the people that we see the stories on TV or we see the write-ups in the news, those things are facing you as well and you're having to struggle through that. Before we get into it so we can have kind of clear parameters, I wanted to start as we discussed with kind of how are we defining racism? Like what, because it's, it's not just the N-word. No. Because <laughs> that's, and I think, and this is really important because when we are telling people that we are complicit in this perpetuation of the cycle of racism, I hear that and go, well, Homer, I don't call you the N-word, so I, I'm not a racist. I don't even say it. I won't even sing it when it's in a song, so I'm, I'm far <laughs> from a racist. Yeah, no. It's, and it's, so how, how, when it comes to you, if I say, what is racism to you, what comes up? It's, 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 what's crazy about it, it's, it changes, and it's, it has a base, but it changes. So like currently right now, I feel like when I think of racism, I think it's the ability to kill me or any other man or any person that has my skin and get away with it. And that is extreme, but lately that's how it feels, and this is brand new. But then when I'm more relaxed and when I look at it, I think it's racism as someone or some uh, people, group of people, which is usually the power of the majority, that dislike someone or mistreat someone based off their skin. But there's so many levels to racism that just N-word in songs or not giving me access to water or housing. There's so much more to that. We can talk about redlining, but there's so much that has gone through our history that we get confused on what racism really is and then the power that it has and how it has displaced black people. And you know, a lot of people will be like, well, you got freed, or you have civil rights. Oh, well, you get to go to college for a percentage for free. You should be able to get ahead. There are still factors uh, that even when I get my, put my name out, I am very lucky that my name is Homer uh, my last name is Britton, and then I actually have the six on it that people don't realize that I am black until they see me. So imagine with all my credentials and the things that I have, I look great on paper. And then I've, I've had interviews when people were shocked and that I was black. And then it's like, well, that's why are you shocked? Because it shouldn't matter. Uh, so racism comes in so many different forms that we can't really truly define it. Yeah, you can open up the computer, put in racism, and it'll come up with a Webster's definition, but it's so much deeper than that, that that's where we drive and we get this conflict of, well, I'm not saying the N-word. Well, you're saying it in rap songs, I'm just not around. Uh, oh, my best friend's black, or I have a friend that's black. Okay, you can treat him like crap all I want to, but just because you're friends with one black person doesn't mean you have these biases that have been developed in your head Some kids. You know, um, I worked, I went to Tennessee Tech, I worked at Ruby Tuesday in Crossville, Tennessee. If you look that up, Crossville, Tennessee, I had a five-year-old ask me why, I was, why was I black? And the mom and dad were so afraid I got a $30 tip. And so I was like, hey, that's a balance, right? Your kid's racist, but you're going to give me money to make me feel better. But um, it, was, it was very interesting, but at, at a very young age, this young boy knew the difference, but wanted to ask me why was I, and it wasn't like, oh, I want to be your friend. I want to know why you look this way, and I don't. So you know, racism again, it's 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 so big now. Uh, the word has got diluted on what it actually truly means, and I think that's a struggle for people to define it. 
And even I struggle for it because, again, I, again, don't want to sound like the angry black man, but racism is so big. It, it's so much. Like, even you can even look at how uh, the Democrats, you know, use racism to be like, well, look at them. They're doing this wrong. And, well, hell, I'll be honest with you, I ain't done shit for you in the last 20 years. I made you feel safe, but that's about it. So, um, you know, I really struggle with defining it, but I understand when I see it. And I try not to, you know, the, you know pull the race car, but it, sometimes it's very blatant. I think uh, I think you did a pretty good job there, and it actually lines up with um, what I had looked up because I had trouble. Um, again, you have the obvious, the N-word, okay, that's got to be a racist, but that doesn't address, like, systemic oppression. And honestly, even that, like a man or a person that's willing to, to call you the N-word, that almost seems so outlandish that you're going, that's like racism plus or almost the, not that that's not still hurtful. And if you look at Ahmaud Arbery, uh, those gentlemen were very willing to say that word. And there were awful consequences as, as uh, a result of their willingness to go down that path. But for what is oppressing black people every day, the definition defined by, as defined by Stokely Carmichael uh, it actually touches on a lot of what you just said. He basically says, what well, you done basically, the quote is, if a white man wants to lynch me, that's his problem. If he's got the power to lynch me, that's my problem. And then he goes on to say, racism is not a question of attitude. It's a question of power. Racism gets its power, and he goes on, and he talks about capitalism in America mm -hmm. and why, and basically being able to have power over you allows us to be more successful and so why would we ever want to change it? But I think without getting, because if you get into capitalism and then you can kind of get in a lot of discussion there. <laughs> right. But if you stick with that first part, it is exactly what you just said. Um, the fact that he is able to lynch you, that's where the, the, the giant problem, that he wants to lynch you, they're hateful people. There are yep. hateful people. The fact that he can, and again, you go, lynching doesn't happen. Look at Ahmaud Arbery. It took two months. It took two months and an outcry for that to change that young man was lynched he absolutely was he was pursued he was stalked he was stopped allegedly hit by the truck <laughs> called the n-word last words he heard i mean he was lynched and the, the police investigated and they found no reason to pursue charges and that is where that power is and you know when you think about it it goes to another quote when it gets to the media the first thing they try to do is dehumanize the black man and, and so this quote it says a black man is killed they tell us all the bad things he used to be a white man rapes they tell us all the great things he could be and that was a quote that i got and it just goes it hits hard because we're always dehumanized like and that's what i try to tell people and it goes in other stories like again in, in cookville i was working and i was talking to a young lady dating and her dad came up and he said the n-word and I told him, I don't, like, I don't appreciate you saying that. Well, he's like, well, Homer, you're not like one of those. You're educated. There's no difference between me and a brother that lives in a different part of the world besides that you know me. So don't do that. Um, and his daughter, you know, kind of was like shocked. But I was like, you don't, don't do that. I know you know how your father really is. And, you know, it's the fact that, that just because I'm educated and you know me, doesn't change the skin color, doesn't change how I act, and doesn't change that you feel freely to say that word in front of me and think there's no consequences. And there are consequences, but can't talk about that here. <laughs> so in that vein, what do you feel when another black person is killed? And as I kind of Ooh. put in the question, often on camera, often unarmed, and then we know who did it and we don't pursue it. You know, that's emotional, emotional... <laughs> Feel question, man, because I when I when I when I do see that, I'm anger, anger fit hits me. I'm disappointed. Talked about helplessness, um, no hope, but then I kind of want revenge, and that's not good. And when I get to that part, I realize that's not good. And you know, I've said this to you before. We go through these cycles. We go think about slavery and all these things. All I'm asking from this country is equality. I could bet. If the shoe was on the other foot, there would be war. All we want is equality. We just want to be treated. We're not trying to get revenge. Because if we wanted to get revenge, I'm not saying we could go out and kill everybody, but you could start doing eye for an eye. And that does not work. And, you know, it's so frustrating. It's so angering 
because people were just like, oh, well, he shouldn't have done this. Why? Why does that give you a simple act gives you uh, the right to kill me? So I shouldn't have been a music example. Eric Garner, I shouldn't have been selling Lucy's. Those are cigarettes, two cigarettes. So that you deserve to put me in a headlock with three or four men jumping on me, and you're telling me I'm restraining. How can I restrain what you have three or four men on me? Then you put me in hell, I can kill me, and that's the first thing. Well, he was doing wrong. So wrong deserves my life being taken away from me. But then on the other foot, when we have these white crime or blue-collar crimes, and these people are all like getting this probation or 10 years in a club med or something like that, it's a big difference, and so it's anger because you actually can look at cases if you really did the research and look at cases where a black man and a white man create um, did the same crime, had the same background, and the black man gets sentenced to maybe five, ten years, or twenty years, or life, and the white man gets probation or five or three years, and it's a world we live in. But then they're told, well, that goes into capitalism or being able to have funds to get the right lawyers there's so many disparities that we could go into and then at the end of the day it gets switched to us whining when we're all we're doing trying to do is point out the, the truth of what we live in and people are not listening to us and so that triggers why you see the riots that are going on now and then you see it's a mixture of yeah there's angry and rioting then there's some looting but then there are people that are taking gain and making it seem like, oh, this is what we really wanted to do and we're angry and we're taking out. We just want to be treated equally. We don't want to take from anybody. But if you don't listen to me for so long, the only way I get my your attention is from taking from you. And that's sad. It's terribly sad. Uh, the, the double standard that you speak of, it's the most apparent thing. It's so incredibly clear. Um, again, you talk about Ahmaud Arbery. They knew who did it when that it wasn't that man's body was found later. It was all in the same moment. They called. They said what had happened because they were proud of what they had done. And nothing was pursued. That's when you're friends with people. You get away with certain things or you yeah. think you can. And the video existed. That video wasn't new. And even allegedly, it was recently released by still the defendants because they thought. It was a third guy. thought it was going to help his friends out. We really appreciate him for that. Like, And, you know, the story like the white guy story that will always stand out. I believe it's been uh, the, the year anniversary, not year, I think it's been a couple years, but the anniversary just passed. Brock Turner, Stanford student who raped a girl behind a dumpster was caught, like caught, caught like in the act doing it, caught. And leniency in the sentencing because he was such an upstanding individual and what yes, he sir. did wasn't that bad. Meanwhile, and I'm grateful, uh, I listened to a, a podcast uh, with Bakari Sellers, who I believe is a former congressman, just wrote a book. And he, he, enlightened me, uh, he, he revealed to me the true story of Emmett Till. And Emmett Till is somebody you learn about even in white school, but you Ooh. don't really go into the details. Nope. It's basically used as the reason for civil rights. They go, okay, well, there's this young black boy, and some unfortunate things happened, and maybe a few white guys did a bad thing and killed him. But, you know, he for the most part, civil it. rights came, and it was okay. And then, so Bakari Sellers on the, the Bill Simmons podcast explained the story of Emmett Till, who, and I'm forgetting the age, 13, maybe, young, mm, eight, yes. eight to 13, somewhere young. He was very young. Was accused by the woman of whistling. Yep, he was flirting. Was he allegedly, and we're going to get to allegedly, allegedly whistled at her. So she complained or got her white friends and said, that black boy, and who knows the language she used to refer to that young man. And so they beat him to inches of his life, and then threw him in the river. Oh, hold on. They didn't just beat him. They mutilated him. See, that wasn't added? Okay. They mutilated And again, him. a young boy. It's a boy. They a boy. Like, yeah. not, not even if you want to be the guy that dehumanizes 17-year-old black men and go, well, they're adults, okay? Like, I'm going to defeat you right here. This boy was young. Like, a, there's no question this was a boy. Yeah, he was 14 years old. And, the, you know, what's really bad about it is that he was down visiting family. He lived in Chicago. So he was down visiting family. Um, the rest of that story is that one, the two men, they got let, they, they knew they did it. People knew they did it. The jury said, no, you're okay. Then they boasted about it afterwards because back then you couldn't, uh, the, uh, be tried for the same crime. Double jeopardy. Yeah. But it, that didn't make sense anyway back then, but yeah. they got away with that. And then 2017, the young lady has a come to Jesus moment before she dies. Bakari called it. She wanted to go to heaven. No, nah, she's not going. No. No. So 
Homer didn't finish the sentence there, she admitted that she concocted the whole thing, that the boy did not, in fact, whistle, which, by the way, I don't care if he did, but she said he did not whistle. And the thing is, we take 2017? Mm-hmm. I mean, this was 1956, Five. 55? Yep, 1955. 55. So 45, 55, 62 years or something like that. Mm-hmm. She kept this on her for 62 years. She lived her life. She, yeah, she got her life in before she then became the villain. And that young boy never got to fulfill any of his dreams, any of his hopes. And again, for something that not only, even if he had done it, that never should have been allowed. He didn't even do it. And so she is actually the original. And she's not the original, but it's a joke. But she is the original Karen. Yep. And she's not because that story has happened so much. Uh, when you go back to, I don't know if you know about Rosewood in Florida, I'll, I'll, that'll be an added uh, uh, movie to watch. It's a town uh, in Florida that was actually a black town, and basically a white lady cried out rape while she was sleeping around with her husband or with another man, and it wasn't a black man, but he told her that it, she was raped by a black man, and they basically go and ravage the, the, the black town and kill everybody, and the people that get away, get away by train. And so it's a movie on HBO. You can find Rosewood, very good story. But you see it that it's a, a pattern in our history, and there's so many stories that we don't know about. And, I, and that's why technology has helped so much as, as it's harmed things as well, but it's helped because these things that we're talking about now, these, the killings, the uh, Arbery, the, the Breonna Taylor, the um, Floyd, all these things that are going on have gone on before. We're just being filmed. And, or the media is able to spread it out from – being in New York to California, you're able to know about it as much. Because, you mean, think about it, 92 was Rodney King, and we all saw it on TV, and they still got away with it. But um, it's not nothing new. It's just we're getting tired of it, and so now we're fighting back. But we're not fighting you. We're rioting, and that's the thing. We're not fighting you. We're fighting the people that are oppressing us or the, the soldiers of oppression, which happen to be the police, unfortunately. Because I do believe there are great policemen out here. I've met a great policewoman at this gym. I met uh, random people that live in Houston that are good police officers and, and firefighters. And these things, that they're there, but there's always bad apples. And what do you do with the bad apples? And that may be too much information, but, you know, we, we know it exists because guess what? There are bad white people. There are bad Mexicans. There are bad black people. There's evil. It exists in this world, not just off of skin color, but it's evil people in general. And that's the side of evil and good. And then what they try to do is make it seem that black people are all evil, all thugs. And that's where I go back to saying that I'm just like my brother. Just because you know me, you may think of me differently. I, I sag a little bit. I wear ball caps. I love wearing Jordans. So you can't judge me off of that until you start talking to me. And that's why they, they say you can't judge, judge a book by its cover. But we have so many people that do that. And then that's why we have the incidents that we have going on for the last 20, 30 years that just seem to be like, oh, it's one off. No, it's not one off. So, yeah, I want to get into the, the, the next question because it's kind of going to what you're playing to. Where, like, so we've talked about the egregious nature with which cases come to the public's attention nationwide, worldwide. And I think, like what you just said, not only is it being filmed, and the quote that's being passed around now is uh, that it's not happening more, it's just being filmed, and it's being attributed to Will Smith saying that. And I'm sure many, many people have said it, mm-hmm. but it's a powerful quote. And then also the benefit of, like, one benefit of social media, which are so many bad things, um, is the fact that the world sees it now. I mean, we are now, one thing that has changed with this go-around of protests, because we've had protests before. Mm-hmm. We've had unjust killings. We've had video-recorded killings where you see that there's no threat. And then they go, well, maybe that cell phone in his pocket in the middle of daytime in the backyard of his grandma's house was a gun. Okay. Okay. All right. We've seen it. We've protested. Nothing happens. The world doesn't take to it. Right now, we are a third world country. We are what we learned, at least for me in white schools, where you go, oh, this awful thing happened in Central America, and there were these protests against the government, mm-hmm. and then it spread to other countries because we couldn't believe what was happening, the injustice down there. Mm-hmm. Well, now we are where the injustice is, and there are protests around the world about this. Um, but I want to get down to your day-to-day because, as we said before this, if we talk in too many generalizations, and that even sucks. Talking about Emmett Till and Perting, that's a generalization. Ahmaud Arbery, Perting, that's a generalization. But I do think when you talk, it's almost like talking celebrity. You're going, well, that's not real life. Mm-hmm. 
You go, well, it was his real life, and it was cut short. But let's go ahead and play the game and bring it home and go day-to-day, okay? Day-to-day, where is it that you can feel that system kind of stacking the deck against you? And it's not that you're not able to overcome it through hard work, but you have to work harder than I do to overcome circumstance because there are circumstances on your plate that are not on my plate. Yep. So I won't say – so we know the system, like – the systemic racism is there. So it's a big system. There are many parts within it. And so one of the biggest things that I say is part of my daily life is the microaggressions that I get from my uh, white peers. Um, and so I work from home, so I don't have to deal with it on a daily. But, you know, the, the funniest thing is when I moved into a new neighborhood um, and people don't, have not seen my face. Uh, I've been there for three weeks. I'm walking my dog, and I know they don't care about my dog. They want to know who I am. And it's like, why do you, does it matter who I am? I'm just walking my dog. And so it, you, have to, you have to be careful with that because you don't want to seem angry. You don't want to seem unwelcoming because they have to see, you know, um, who are you? I'm Homer. I'm this person, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I think I deal with more with when, when I try to buy things. If I go in an expensive store, you know, I get followed around a store. I hate that with a passion. And I will leave a store. I've happened that when I go to the Galleria. I would be like, you know, I'm coming to get these shoes. But one, somebody didn't speak to me, or you didn't speak to me, and then you have the security following me around. And that happens to me, and it happens to everybody, and I understand the threat of stealing. But really, how can I steal a shoe that I don't even have yet? Um, at work, I think being a minority, at a, it happens because of where I'm at. I am a senior manager, uh, and so I'm young. I'm 33. And so that comes with the age with somebody that's been working in a company 20 years, and we're actually peers now. And I have to deal with them trying to tell me what to do in a way that I know they wouldn't tell somebody else. And so I have to make sure that I'm not being too much in my feelings, but also not allow it a lot. Um, the microaggressions that happen going into Target. Um, I'm walking down the aisle and somebody's not paying attention and they're walking right towards me. And instead of saying, excuse me, they just bump into me. And I'm like, you you saw me, right? And is you have to deal with these little microaggressions. And that is just because of my success that I have to deal with those. And that sounds bad saying that, but it's there's so much things that other people that don't have what I have they have to go through. And I think that's the biggest part or where I struggle with when it comes to being political and things like that. I can't just say, well, I'm good. I have to look at the totality of my people in the African-American community and we're not in a good place. And is it all by ourselves? No. Is it all because of the white man? No. It's a balance. And But right now, what you were talking about, the difference in the marching and the things that's going on, you're involved. More white people are involved, and that's why it's becoming so big, and that's actually the way it's going to change because we've been saying the same damn song for over 400 years, and everybody's like, well, it's not really that bad. Like, again, I've had a friend tell me, not a friend, because we actually, after he said that, somebody I grew up with, played baseball with, thought we knew each other, and then he was mad because of uh, the Trump stuff that was going on. And he was like, well, it's not as bad as it was back in the day. I'm like, oh, okay. So the fact that you can't hang me now, I'm supposed to be satisfied with that, even though I'm still getting treated like crap. Um, you know, I don't want to, and my main thing is to make sure I'm not here to whine. I'm not complaining. I'm just letting you know these things go on. You know, getting on the elevator. I have to be cautious to one, make sure that I'm the person hitting the door and getting in the way so they can see me and feel comfortable. Getting on an elevator and a woman grab a purse. I don't want your damn purse, lady. Uh, Holding the door, my wife, you know, my wife actually gets on me sometimes because I'm too friendly and I'm just like, well, honey, I feel like I have to, to, because when I come out the house, I have to become an actor. I can't really be my full self until you get to know me. But when you see me, I'm not saying I'm 6'3 or nothing, but I have a lot of muscle. And so you see me walking towards you, you don't know what I'm going to do because apparently you've had experiences or you've seen movies or actions where a guy went from across the street and next thing you know, you're getting robbed. Um, I have to be careful with that and I have to, you know, I hold the door. And I've had people look at me like, yeah, I'm holding the door. Go ahead. Um, It's just these small microaggressions that I deal with the most uh, when I deal with like, you know, the banks and things like that. Again, until they see my paperwork it gets treated differently, you know, and it's, it's, it's weird. It's unfair, 
but I know I'm not the only person that deals with it. So again, I don't whine and complain. And that is where we have, you'll see on Twitter, you'll see on Instagram, we may not live together, we may not even know each other, but we've done or had some of these interactions that we're able to laugh and come together with people we don't know because of the things that happen going on. The Karen situations, all these things that you see on the news, we've dealt with it a lot. It's not new, it's just being filmed now. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. I think, I mean, you hit on it a few times. It's in its simplest fashion, even, in, even if you were able to say, I don't have any egregious things happen to me on a regular basis everything you just said was basically you have to prove that you're worth being there yep. while the i time. get to show up and just be there and i have to prove i'm not worth being mm-hmm. there it goes the other way it's mm-hmm. honestly innocent until proven guilty guilty until proven innocent mm-hmm. and that goes back to what we're describing in the news where you do something wrong you're guilty you're guilty if oh, i should say perceived to do something wrong mm-hmm. you're guilty and you can prove your innocence. They'll go back to something I did when I was 16 and right. I'm 30 some years old. And but say, I'll do something wrong. And let's be clear. I've been to jail twice. Okay. I went to great schools and then I decided to make some poor choices. And I, I went to jail and a lot of government programs to kind of get back out of it and all that stuff. But if I do something wrong, I can almost assure you they will say that I graduated from St. Stephen's Episcopal School, one of the premier boarding schools in the United States, great education program. Mm-hmm. And my father was a, a, a big-time attorney, and I came from a perfect family. Mm-hmm. And it's just so unfortunate that we're mixed up in this. Mm-hmm. Never mind that I'm actually 33, 34, <laughs> sorry. It's been 16 years since I was at St. Stephen's. I don't actually talk to any, though I love the school, and I absolutely think it, it was a great it actually was much more diverse than where I'd been before that and the thought processes. But the point is, like, I'm not that person anymore. Mm-hmm. I am much closer to the person who got out of jail in 2006. Mm-hmm. 2009. Oh, both times. Sorry. 2006 <laughs> and 2009. All right. I'm much closer to that person. And but I wouldn't have to prove that. And that won't come out until we get into court and they yep. go, hey, by the way, this guy's got some stuff. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, on you, we know the one bad thing you might have been thought to have done 20 years ago. Then you get to go and go, actually, he's a great upstanding citizen and he's done nothing but benefit the community. Mm-hmm. And then it still might not be enough. Nope. You know, and, and that's a frustrating part. And that's why the double standard is there. But. Again, not whining about it, just trying to make people realize it actually exists. And, you know, I get that all the time because of where I'm at in America and how I've done things. I've been able to take advantage of the system that was trying to put me down. And so now that I've made it, and I'm doing air quotes because I don't think I've made it or anything like that, I'm just in a different demographic, different tax bracket. People think I don't still have the same issues. And that's the same thing with rappers and stuff. Yeah, you like rappers and doing all that thing. But if you don't know they're a rapper, you might treat them like crap. And they still have to deal with it. Absolutely. And so it's White people would hate (laughs) to actually be around rappers in real life because it's what they decided is not acceptable in society. But I, I just think we just need to take the time to understand one another, have conversations. We're not always going to agree with one another, but I think... Just hear out maybe if somebody has questions so we can talk about it more. But just understand we have this is one America, but there are two different Americas because we're treated differently. And that's not just we. There's my, you know, brown Latin brothers. Asians are treated differently. But it's the the severity of the treated differently. I am treated as I'm a threat at all times. And that is so mentally blogging and just it drags on you and you don't understand like, you know, when you think about, and I hate to use this analogy, but when our soldiers go off to war and they develop PTSD because of the situations and things they've gone and seen, think about that in a four year span, put that in a black person's life that deals with this and it develops. No, it's not exactly the same, but it's not far from it. And me originally going from Chicago, when you had to deal with the crime going on there and then coming down to the South, I really wasn't around white people besides my teachers until I moved down here and I was scared at first when I lived in Tennessee. Uh, When I came to Houston, I came to Houston because of the diversity and you know, what I saw in the gyms was not not diversity. And so I, you know, I I moved to one gym to another because I moved and it's just like having the conversations and building those, that's when you can see that one where we have similarities but also the differences that we do have are usually due to our skin color or our economic background. 
you break those up and then you realize like, okay, this person really is going through this. It's not fake. It's not a cry wolf situation. It is actually what happens in this world and we should probably listen to each other more because it's not just us. Women are treated unfairly, but they're just not treated as targets. And that's the biggest thing is that we're literally treated as targets for crime right. or police brutality, not crime. Excuse right. me. Right, right, right. Um, I, I completely agree. And I think that was kind of, the, the question we wanted to kind of bring this to is, and you, you've pretty much already answered it, you know, what can individuals, especially white people like me and myself, do to support and progress society down the path of change? And I do want to say something that I feel like is in the way of some people, and I'm going to say white people, but I think, and it's a life lesson, but it it's definitely applies here. Like, we're sitting here right now, and if I'm up front, like, you make, without knowing exactly, at least four times as much annual income as I do, okay? And I'm a white man with a good upbringing and like I'm supposed to be that picture-perfect American. And so if a black man tells me that there's system systematic oppression and then I go, I don't know, man, my life's really hard. Like I'd, I'm not making it easily. Um, I struggle every day. I don't like the tax rate. I don't like what the government requires of me either you need to just fall in line because this is all bullshit. I don't know why you think you're special. My life sucks too, mm -hmm. okay? And then I put that wall up of I now won't empathize with you mm -hmm. because, and it's kind of why you've been saying, because I think you, like, black people do get thrown into that. You're just complaining. Mm -hmm. Stop complaining. Mm -hmm. Aren't you grateful you're here? Yes, that pisses me off. And, I mean, that's something we use, <laughs> we use for immigrants. We use for everything now. We're like, what is your problem? How dare you? This is the best country in the world, but, yeah, it is, but there's still work to be done. There is absolutely still work to be done. And just because I struggle doesn't mean that there's not systematic, like systematic or systemic, I'm sorry, obstacles that are placed intentionally most of the time in the path of others that are different than me. Yep. And I think that we, and this goes into, and, and, I, and I do think we're going, it's great to remind people of things like white fragility and white guilt, and it's good to discuss <laughs> But if we keep throwing that in people's faces, they're not going to listen. No, they, they don't listen. They don't, it's, white privilege doesn't exist. I hear that all the time. And, and it's, it's, it's a struggle because, again, you're failing to realize what that is saying. At the end of the day, you've had a long day. You are not getting the money. You're not doing this. But it wasn't due to your skin color. Absolutely. It was due to the choices you've made. Absolutely. And that is a different, like a lot of the issues are some of the choices that I made, but also I'm getting hit because of my skin color or not the opportunities because of my skin color, not because of my character, not because of how much money I make. It's off of my skin color. Absolutely. And that's where we struggle. And you, you brought up like, what can white people do or anybody that wants to learn, read a book, read and talk to your friends. And it's like, or your black friends, not just friends, but also take it back to your friends. And maybe when they do those little jokes, when you're in a closed circle, call them out, say, that's not cool. That's not right. That's not true. Call them out. Yeah. You might get some heat for it, but be able to provide facts to those people and let them see that, Hey, yeah, you, again, you had a rough path, but again, it wasn't based off because of your color. That's where we think we struggle at. And, you know, I always, I will always, I joke, but I'm serious. Black on black crime. Don't bring that up to me. It's not, a, it's not, a, it's a myth. We, as human beings, kill the people that we're most around. White on white crime is 87%. But you don't hear about it because you're not trying to promote that. They just say black on black crime. And yeah, black people kill each other. So do white people. So do brown Mexicans. So do Asians. You're around each other. And it's a sad thing that that happens, but that is human nature. Um, Ben, you, you've worked on a list, or I worked on a list and gave it to you, of videos, not videos, movies, books, podcasts to listen to. Amplify Black Voices, uh, the tab is at the blackwolfcf.com, and Homer will be kind of curating that list month to month, so be sure to check that out. And so being able to have that, that is a start. I actually had a conversation with a former athlete in the gym, and she realized that she wasn't as woke as she thought she was. And... The issues that are plaguing the community aren't just on the face. Like, I think if you actually look it up, there's an iceberg on racism. And as you know, the iceberg, there's just, you only see the top. 
it's really the smallest part of the iceberg. And when you look beneath the water, you can see how big it is. And that is where racism really hits. And it's, it's so much. And again, not complaining is just the facts and things that we deal with. And due to my education, I have my master's as well. I have all these certifications. If you don't know that, you're going to think I'm something else off the bat. Uh, a big thing that wears me, I love Texas. I'm from Tennessee as well. I carry a gun. I legally carry a gun. I have to be careful with that. So did Philando Castile. Yeah, you know, he was reaching for his idea as asked, but that's another story because that actually happened again. I don't know if you saw the story of in Cincinnati where the young man was squatting. We'll talk afterwards because I don't want to bog this down. But carrying a gun and being black makes me nervous because I don't get the same respect as my peer that it may be white. I should be able to carry a gun and not be questioned. I've been pulled over and the officer gets upset with me for, why didn't you tell me you had a gun? Because he sees my gun license. And I'm like, well, I don't know how to bring that to your attention without making you pull a gun out on me. And so me keeping my hands up and doing these things here, you don't have to worry about it, me having a gun. And so... I actually had to ask uh, one of the athletes here that it was a cop, was it okay for me to put my gun in a certain spot in my car? And she said, yes. Great, thank you very much. And I have no problems. And that information, it was helpful. But to go back to what the question or summing it up, just take the time to empathize, have some sympathy, learn the history that you didn't learn in school. Because a lot of people don't know about the Tulsa riots. They don't know about Rosewood, I, I, spo- I explained. Well, and so Tulsa is something, and, I, and it's really difficult because I didn't know about that. And that's, that's something that, that um, is, I mean, you want to talk about failure of the school system. And, again, I said I yeah. went to good schools. Yeah. And, I mean, I did. Like, I was at schools where I got letters from the Ivy League because I played soccer, and the schools were good enough. I wasn't even a good student, but I was at a good enough school. They're like, we can take you from there if you're a good enough soccer player. And I was right. a good enough soccer player. <laughs> but, like, our study of – Anything from slavery through civil rights was so surface. And it's, I told it's so you, surface. I told you Malcolm X is an evil man. Mm-hmm. In my circles, Malcolm X was an, a dis, almost a disgusting man. Mm-hmm. Martin Luther King was a savior, and, that, and Malcolm X was an awful, horrible man mm-hmm. that just wanted to kill everybody. Mm-hmm. And then you read it on your own, and I'm grateful because the – and again, a white guy, Casey Neistat, New York City filmmaker, very famous YouTuber and movie producer um, – He's, he cites it in all of his uh, interviews as being his favorite book, is Malcolm X's autobiography. So I read it. And you're reading it going, oh, this isn't what I was told. This isn't the violence. And, and it's not that he wasn't angry. It's not that he also didn't have many phases of his life. Mm-hmm. But that's what made it beautiful was his journey yep. as a black man through this country during that time period. Mm-hmm. And we, learned, we got to learn nothing from him. He contributed nothing to the conversation in the white schools because we didn't want to confront what he had to go through. And we got to paint because even Martin Luther King was not the man that we claimed he was. But we could dress him up enough in the Mm -hmm. stories and the recall to say, oh, no, he was much more peaceful and in line and perfect. And he didn't want to disturb the status quo. He just wanted to change. Mm -hmm. And then even in the pictures of the, the marches that then turned into riots or turned into like issues of brutality we like cut the tape like we docked the video go oh we don't need to see that part i mean we talked about civil rights and you know the only reason why america really woke up was the was it is it blood sunday red sunday with the selma yes that's because it was filmed yes if it wasn't filmed was filmed that's it you know and then the thing with history we still think you know we give abraham lincoln all this credit for freeing the slaves that's not, yeah, he freed them, but guess why he did that? Because he needed more soldiers, and it was strategic. It wasn't because he wanted to. He had to to win the war, and I he just knew saw, that. I, I just saw, and I, I had been vaguely aware of that, and also as you get older, and, man, this ties straight to Glassman, your heroes are not infallible, no. and they can awful, uh, often be awful, awful humans or have terribly uncalibrated moral compasses. But I just saw, and I, is, I guess is every image with text a meme because it's not funny, but it was a – it was a portrait of Abraham Lincoln, and it said, if I did not have to free the slaves, I would not. And then it was a portrait of Robert E. Lee, and he says, a great war is coming, and these young men who have never fought are excited, and they should not be. They don't know the devastation. If I could own all the slaves in the world, I would, so I could free them without war. Mm-hmm. And you're going, well, that's an opposite narrative mm-hmm. than what we've been praising yep. since the beginning of yep. this. Yep. And that's, 
I mean, it's I want to say it's gutting. Yep. But these days, it's kind of like just it, surpri- it surprises you because even with that quote, Robert Lee is still a bad man. He yes. still mistreated slaves and yes. did things. But in the back of his mind, he didn't want to kill his own people or see so many people, and which happened in Civil War. So many Americans right. died, and that's what we're trying to prevent. Because I don't think it's going to be a civil war. Everybody thinks it's going to be a race war and all that thing. It's very simple to end all that is just start listening. And we just need to understand each other because guess what, Ben, you've had a rough life and it was it was off of choices you've made. Right. Let's talk about those and let's not just cut each other off because, well, you don't agree with who I vote with. Or when I ask you, or it goes back to the, um, not even this, I'm going to go to Drew Brees. Yes. And everybody, after he backtracked, fixed his statement because he talked to his teammates and realized what he said and realized that it's not about the flag for the 1,400 damn time. Americans or the right were saying, oh, he can't have an opinion. But I also think that it was funny because there's the same people that said he can't have an opinion, the left is pushing, blah, 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 were the same people that told LeBron James to shut up and dribble. Yes. And so we live in this world of double standards and we don't realize it. And then when we get caught up, we're like, oh, that's not what I meant, blah, blah, blah. And it just, it's just frustrating and irritating. And at the end of the day, we're so close to being a better nation. We're fighting to stop that just because we feel like we're going to lose something. And honestly, when I say we, I'm sorry, I feel like it comes to white people. They feel like they're going to lose their power because actually in 20, 30 years, you're going to lose your power because of the population is going to change and there's going to be a majority of Latinos. It's still not black because it's only 13% of us. So 13, 14%. So it's not us. So, hey, we're still your friends. And that's the thing. We're all working together to make a better country. But are we really doing it? Are we really putting the work? Because it's not easy. It's not easy. It's not easy, but it takes intentional steps. And we have to be willing, as you said, we have to be willing to do that. Um, I mean, is there anything else you want to add on this? Uh, we're going we're gonna to touch briefly on the Glassman issue and the inclusivity in CrossFit or, or fitness in a second. But, uh, I mean, you've pretty much said, hey, listen to your friends. Have, be intentional about those conversations. And that's the thing. Like, if you're someone that finds yourself saying, I can't be a racist, I have black friends, that's really only going to fit if you're having these conversations with your black friends. If you just I, – I remember in college – uh, in one of my forays into college, I was around a bunch of kids that came from a town near Houston. And as it related to me, hey, we're all white and we go drink together. And they had, we had black friends. We had two black guys from their high school that were there. But then towards the end of it is when the new class came in. It was when I was moving away. I was very fortunate for this. You started to notice they're not really that, that close of friends because the real conversations were being had. We could drink together. Mm-hmm. You know, we could chew tobacco together, that yep. kind of thing. But, like, nobody was willing to talk about real life. And so because basically they had assimilated into white culture. Mm -hmm. And and, and to this day, I wish I was still in contact with them. Maybe I can find them. It's not something I've worked at. And we weren't terribly close because I was, like, I was older. I was a transfer. But no excuses. How were they actually feeling in those moments? Mm -hmm. And 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 they definitely were a part of it it wasn't as if they were in they were the leaders at times but still having those conversations it would be very interesting for a black man who's 18 assimilating to college culture who's been with this group of white people for his his whole high school middle school whatever what was that like because it was just like oh we got a black friend yay yeah i think that so (laughs) no story uh i think that hits home as a 18 year old you you were doing so much 17 18 to adjust and you were just trying to make it and then going to college you become your own man and you start realizing this isn't right. You know, this isn't right. This is really not my friend. It's just because I, I was cool or I did something. And I actually ran into that in college with a guy that I actually met in college. And we were working together doing student orientation. So we had became friends. And I thought we were going to really be good friends. And I was really, you know, really wanted that relationship because we were getting along. We had a lot in common. And one night drinking with a group of friends, he gets really, really wasted, and I find out what type of person he is, and he talks about a story where somebody wasn't doing what he was supposed to do. It was a, a somebody at a um, Sonic, and he basically calls the person a nigger and says, not nigger, but nigger, and I walk out like five seconds right into the part where all I hear is, and that motherfucker was a nigger. And let's just say everybody in that just stopped and looked, and... We're not friends anymore. We're on Facebook together, but we're not friends. We don't talk. We never keep in touch. He has kids now. I've never let that moment go. And that's just I'm something. I'm just curious. When you say they stopped and looked, did they stop and look at him? And no, they him? stopped and looked at they me. They looked at of you. Of course they didn't stop and say anything. If you they had said, not been here. 
there to win along with the story. Yes. It's always that. It's and that's, always been that. And that's where, when I look back in my college experiences, as I said, I've never said the N-word, that I – it's to tell a joke to any reason to, like, have a laugh about it, white person, president, or black – like, it's something that, fortunately for me, that was, that was not something that was a part of my upbringing. And so um, I see that. But then that easily makes me go, well, then I'm not a racist. When I look at my younger days, when I look at 18 to 25, I was a good person, but I definitely was complicit in being in the room when things like that happen. And it should have been me that stood up and said, hey, shut the fuck up. Mm-hmm. That's not how we're going to yeah. talk here. Yeah, that would have been helpful. But, but instead, young, it's, I'm going to look at you and be like, are you okay with this? Are you okay yeah, with this? Are you okay exactly. with this? Okay, yeah. uh, I didn't like that, but I'm, if you're okay, okay we're going to, yeah. who wants yeah. a drink? Like, let's just play through. But it, it's true. And that's what it's saying in these situations. And it's, again, not complaining. It's just where you could spoke up, speak, spoke up. You could have spoke, speaking up. I can't get it out, but you can edit this part out. <laughs> Being able to speak up in moments like that allows people to, one, feel safe to stand up because of when, if that your buddies did, am I being an angry black man or I'm being aggressive? And next thing you know, nobody wants to talk to me and I'm out it. Because if it was a team, that makes it even worse because then that kills the unity of the team and things like that. And so um, you just have to be careful and just be thoughtful. And I, I really just think about it. At the end of the day, how would you want to be treated? That simple. Because I think in the end of the day, I think they, they've done a study well, it was not a study, but a, um, a psychologist was in a room with kids and it was basically, there's two examples. One was saying that how many of you will, will want to walk in a black man's shoes or a black person's shoes? Nobody raised a hand and was like, why is that? Then the other example of, it's, it's a video out that's on YouTube and you see it on across Instagram and it was a teacher, I think it was actually a youth camp, church camp, and they were lined up to start a race. Yes. Yes. And I love that. It is yes. the best example. It's such a good video. It's an example, and it basically just talks about how you get an advantage of how you're family. Been, I would have been at the 50-yard line, and you would have been in the end zone. I would have been in the end zone. I think I would have been at the five-yard okay, line. Okay. Yeah. Maybe you would have had a step forward. Yeah, but like, exactly. I would have been 50 or 60 yards ahead exactly. of you. Yep. I, and, I, and I remember watching that video being like, I would have moved. And he'd say the next thing, like, I would have moved. Yeah. He'd say the next thing, and I would have moved. And, and, and nothing's wrong with being able to move. That's the whole thing about this whole thing about racism and everything. But I would have then celebrated and said, I was at the 50-yard line because I'm awesome. Right. Not because I had advantages. Right, and that, that's the thing. Yes. Making sure that you realize that you have advantages. And guess what? If you've got advantages, take advantage of those. Use those, but don't call around and say when somebody else is struggling yes. that, well, they need to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. That's the worst thing to say because you have advantages yes. based off your skin color, your family yes. dynamic. That helps. And it's okay to have that, but don't act like everybody else has that same thing. Right. And that's the biggest problem. Yes. No, that video is powerful. Um, and maybe I can link it in the show notes because I, I do think that's worth everybody seeing. Alrighty, That wraps up this portion of the interview. As episode one, Homer goes on to discuss with me the issues that CrossFit is currently facing through what is emerging from HQ that will be posted at a later date. Uh, The conversation went on for another 35 minutes or so, and I wanted the focus to be on um, this first part initially. Give us your thoughts. You can always reach out to me, ben at blackwolfcf.com. I'd love to hear your thoughts. I can pass them along to Homer. You can also find Homer on Instagram, hbritton underscore bi. I will link that in the show notes as well, so you can give him a follow, let him know what you think. He uh, He's open to discussion, and, and he really uh, looks forward to these talks, so be sure to take advantage of the resources that you do have in that man. Thank you so much, Homer, for coming on, and thank you to each and every one of you for listening. Let me know what you think, and I will talk to you later. Goodbye.